Yes, you have downloaded the ASI podcast. My name is Russ Shaw. Season three is about heart change. It's about results. It's about things you can see. It's about people who are sick and tired of being in a cage, being in chains, being in bondage to their addictions. Round and round, round we go. Where it stops, nobody knows it. Baby, back and forth God above and the devil below you You got your reasons I got my wants Still got that feeling But I'm too old to die young now Maybe. <laughs> Love that tune. Uh, truth be told, this life thing, none of us are getting out of it alive, right? That's, uh, that's the truth. I have a heavy heart. Just from emails and text messages and, you know, social media messages that I've received from listeners, heavy-hearted kind of uh, messages this show is in in response to. Um, I don't tend to read emails on the show because I I do consider that stuff private and personal. Uh, But I I, I do want to, you know, go over some of the things that... that Answering some of the email that that you guys have sent in... um, First of all, I wanted to say that I'm humbled and honored that you are listening right now, all right? Whoever you are, wherever you are at this point in your life, in your recovery, or just, you know, I don't know, man. It's just, there's just something about this, doing this podcast that that has me today um, feeling very honored and humbled, but also... uh, just real cognizant, if you will, of the of the ripple effect that that my words have through your ears. So, as the listening audience, I am I'm humbled and honored that you um, like to you know listen to and talk about and 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 be about communicating and interacting with me, your host, about the way things are, rather than how. They should or ought to be, you know. It's kind of like we, we know the shoulds and ought tos, right? And the more shoulds and ought tos we know, it's kind of like weight. Weight that we carry. It's good weight, you know, don't get me wrong. The shoulds and ought tos are kind of like that that carrying the, the barbell at the gym, you know. 
but on a heart level, again, it's like, you know, going back to some of them early shows, getting on the, on the treadmill and working out your heart. It's, uh, it's taxing, right? It, it feels taxing to our, our flesh, our body, even our spirit. And I think part of carrying on forward with recovery and not quitting is, you know, feeling the, the good burn of, of where we're going, right? Freedom is, is, a, is a funny word. It, it, I talked about last season, defining that word. Um, sometimes we, we feel like if we just give up, then that's going to be freedom. And, and it probably will. It's functional freedom for a little while. But then we realize, crap, I'm a slave, right? I'm back into bondage. You know, however you're listening, whether I'm in your earbuds or yakking at you through your car stereo on the way to work or, or you know, headphones, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just want you to know that whoever you are as an individual, uh, again, I am, I am more than, than humbled that, that you would listen to me, all right, that you would let me speak into, into your device, whatever it is, right, into your brain, into your cranium. I, uh, I don't take that lightly, just to, just to let you know. It's, it's why I keep doing this, because it, it, it affects people's hearts and minds. And it's not me, all right? It's just some of the stuff I've learned, some of the people that I've been honored and, and humbled to just listen to and to be around, and the, the life that I've lived and, and the walk that I've walked and the, and the, the set of cards I've been dealt and how I've learned to play that set of cards. We are all dealt a different hand in this life. All right? And, and how you play that hand. You know, I don't even know if that's a good analogy, really. You know, it's like, oh, does the guy who gets four aces, does he win the game of life? Nah, not necessarily, man. Um, that set of cards that you're dealt... Is it a gift? Are you surviving? Walking through this life, what does it look like? The pain, the joy, the love, the hate, the grudges, the, the energy that builds up that feels like, you know, you just can't shake it. The, the addictions, you know, the behaviors that, that won't go away. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, we're all dealt a certain hand in life. I was doing a study on luck, trying to wrap my mind around what, you know, what that means. I've heard it's like a, the roots go back to a pagan god or something like that, and I couldn't find any evidence for that. I also heard that uh, there's religious people that say luck is short for Lucifer. You're referring to Lucifer when you say luck. There's no evidence of that either, except for the fact that religious people made it up. Um, and I get when people say, you know, oh, well, you got good luck, or I was really lucky. Um, Christians will say, well, I was blessed. And that's true, right? Like, I was really blessed I got this job, or I was really blessed that I, you know, I came into some good fortune, right, rather than just tossing it up to just good luck. You know, that's that uh, 
worshiping the, the creator, the giver of all things, rather than, you know, worshiping the thing itself, the creation. Um, but, you know, not to get theological on you, um, my, my point is that, you know, I had a hard time with that, you know, I had a hard time with this, oh, well, it's a pagan, you're referring to a pagan god when you say luck, because what about bad luck? <clears throat> Does that mean when bad things happen, which commonly do, it, 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 my daughter and I were joking about this, and she's like, Dad, I have your luck, you know, I, I think I inherited your luck in the fact that we don't win contests and, and stuff like that. Usually, it, it, you know, if we were, were asked to pay a dollar into some thing to, you know, win something, we're, we're usually not the ones that would win, you know. We're just not fortunate that in that way. To call that bad luck, is that is that accurate? Right? To say I'm unlucky. I think about some of these tattoos I've seen, you know, with guys with born loser and uh, having a, a set of cards on their on their arm or back or whatever that are all bad, you know. It, 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 the luck is just this this strange place our hearts run to, I think, to kind of solve the dissonance of why didn't I get what I want, you know. Maybe that's part of it. Seeing our, our own reflection in that word luck is something that I've had to grow through, you know. That, that sometimes it's my selfishness, that energy that comes out of me that when I say, oh, my bad luck, or just figures, you know, predictable. God's got it out for me, I used to think. It's just so not true. People have it out for me. It's a common thing that addicts believe. Everyone's out to get me. It's just not true either. There's times where I've, you know, braced myself for another bad card to be slammed down on the table. And there's times where I've thought, you know, Whatever that next card is, I'm going to be all right, you know. I'd like to tell you that that's where I'm at now, you know. <laughs> but really, honestly, I am grateful for every breath that I take now. It's just a different place than, I, than I've ever been before. Do I still fear a bad card being slammed on the table? Sure. But I know that if it is, I will be, I will have it, I will be able to deal with it differently than I have in the past. We all have a different story. And uh, again, thank you for listening. And I'm humbled and honored by the, the fact that you would share some of your time with me, some of your life with me, some of your story with, with me. Um, I don't take it lightly. Uh, I just felt... I just felt really that heavy on my heart today to, to say that. Wanted to play you another bumper from the Zach Brown Band. And uh, it reminds me, you know, Unchained. It's, it's like, 
uh, hear all these psychologists talking about the, the lizard brain, right? This primitive part of your brain that's, that's you know, uh, not evolved quite yet. It's, it's your lizard brain, you know, and it's funny how more and more cognitive scientists are finding that, uh, like, self-talk exists there. Birds and lizards don't have self-talk. And I don't believe that the, the amygdala, right, that deep part of your brain, I don't believe that that has anything to do with evolution. I think it's your throttle, right? Your brain has a throttle. Your will has a throttle. And it exists there. That's just my two cents, all right, from what I've learned, what I've studied from from psychology to theology yeah it's not some you know we're not some highly evolved you know animals we are um, we are souls with a body and that layered brain that you have it has a throttle right it has a gas pedal Drink from a mountain spring Deep in the land of the green wide open Let the water roll all over me I'm kid we'd go over there and it, it, okay so on my dad's side of the family is my granny just to clarify uh, my mom's side of the family was my grandma my grandma was religious um, pretty strict religious you know you had to watch what you said around her you had to what I, I, you know, watch what kind of clothes you wore. If I wore a rock shirt or something like that, I was going to get a lecture. Um, so, my grandma, you know, kind of hyper Pentecostal religious. But my granny, um, yeah, she wasn't religious at all. You know, she uh, she was a real estate broker most of her life and retired early when uh, my. My grandpa died. My grandpa died when my dad was 16. 
sell. My my dad has his his stuff, right? Dealing with that. But she, uh, I think she worked a little after that, but then she retired and she had a lot of real estate. She wasn't a wealthy woman by any means. She uh, sold all that stuff to retire on and moved into a, a trailer park, you know. She had this cabin in the, in the woods, in the Cascade Mountains. And she would pick me up, you know. I, I, sometimes I'd have a friend with me that would stay for a few weeks. Um, my stepbrother would come sometimes. And, and we'd get in her car. She had this big Plymouth, you know, and a uh, big old yellow Plymouth boat, 70s, you know, car. And it, it, we, we would ride up to Index, this, this city, you know, this little town, really, in the Cascade Mountains. And it, I, I remember, because <laughs> she would drive like, you know, it, it, the speed limit would be 50, and she would do, you know, maybe 40 tops. And it was this long, you know, Highway 2 up into the mountains, and it was this long road, two-lane road, and, and curvy, right? <laughs> and we'd have a line of cars behind us. I remember being a kid and looking back and going, oh, man, there are some upset people behind us. There's a, there's a caravan of cars as far back as I could see <laughs> behind my granny driving up to index and we would travel up to the uh, the outdoor life you know it was funny because back in those this is like you know the the early 80s late 70s you know and and we would walk a mile from the cabin to the to the little town of index it was about a mile mile and a half you know, and we were just kids, like eight or nine years old. And she would call the guy at the store and go, um, "My uh, my grandson's going to come up and get a carton of smokes. He's got my money, and he's going to get a carton of smokes. That's that's cool, right?" And they'd be, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool." So I'd get I'd get my granny a carton of smokes. <laughs> Me and my stepbrother, you know. And I would go there in the summer, and my my mom would. You know, send me out there, and I'd stay out there for weeks. You know, even months, few months out of the summer, we'd stay out there and play cards with my my granny. <laughs> there was a river out there. It was really, uh, it was fun at the cabin. Yeah, they would they would play all sorts of different card games, and she'd teach me these different card games. I, I remember we'd play Seven Up and you know, box cars and play the dice games. And, it was just fun. All of her, uh, all of her friends would come over on certain nights, and they'd smoke like chimneys and, and play cards. And we'd sit in for a little while until our eyes started to burn. My granny, it was a, it was a blast. It's good memories as a kid. But I remember one of my granny's friends had this painting, and it, and it hung in her. Uh, I guess her like office. I went to her house and hung out there for a while. Her and her and her husband slept in separate rooms. It was kind of weird. Um, I thought, remember that being weird. But she had this painting of this. This uh, I was like a kid. I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. It was kind of abstract, ambiguous, you know. But this kid with a, cards in front of him, 
or her, right? And and it was like the person who drew the painting wanted to have it from from the perspective of someone sitting at the table because there was cards in front, right? And then there was the kid on the other side of the table. And then to the right and left are these four, like, specter-type beings, you know? And it was kind of New Orleans-style, right? And they had the, the kind of skeleton face with the, the top hat and the suit. You know, one suit was yellow, one was purple, one was blue, and one was, you know, violet or red or something like that. And it was just this gaudy, you know, velvet, something you'd see hanging in a bar in the French Quarter or something like that in New Orleans, right? And, but yeah, I remember that, that time. I remember those days just, you know, from, from that time until I was uh, about 13, 14, 13. 12, 13, I, I don't know. So it was hot dogs and, you know, marshmallows by the campfire, exploring in the woods, playing in the river in the, in the hot summer, and sleeping on the back porch, falling asleep to the sounds of the crickets and bugs. And I missed my mom. I remember really missing my mom, and I wanted to see my mom, but at the same time, I'd have to deal with school, you know, in the fall. I'd have to deal with the moving back to the, the trailer park, the other trailer park where I lived, and uh, the bullies and the junk that was going on there. And, and remembering that, you know, that painting. It's different things I, I took with me coming back, you know, to the, to the real world, right? And it's almost like the drugs and getting drunk and, you know, all of the things that attracted me to escape my life, you know, the temptations that I just, you know, I just bit down on that hook, man. I'm like, all right, I want, I want out. I want out of, of this reality, <laughs> even as a young man.
I struggled with addiction ever since I was a young man. Ever since I, you know, started growing hair in certain places, right? My voice started to change. I think the first time I got blacked out, passed out, drunk, I was like 14, 15 years old. Um, started smoking pot at 15. I just, I'm no stranger to addiction, alright? Sexual or chemical. I've had different chemical romances throughout my life. Um, alcohol, drugs, sex, um, cocaine, amphetamines of any sort and kind, hallucinogens. I did mushrooms when I was 15. For the first time, dropped acid, 16. My first alcohol overdose, where I actually died for two minutes, I was 16 years old. I know what it's like, and I, and I felt that, you know. Uh, emails recently, uh, even a text message from a listener who I've been talking with on and off for a, a few years about, you know, just feeling under attack, um, feeling seduced in, in a way that pulls you in to a point where you feel out of control over your own body, you know? Um, the slave masters, you know, the, the things that we hand our, our will over to and end up controlling us, it's, it's, it, it's very real. I'm, again, I'm no stranger to how that feels. I wanted to play you a song by the band 6AM. Uh, Nikki Six was a, he's a bassist and lead writer and creative influence behind the band Motley Crue. And, and he was a heroin addict. Wrote a book about it, made an album about it. And this song, um, and man, this song about brought me to tears because it, it reminded me of, of, of that place. He's talking about heroin in this song. Of us who struggle with sexual addiction. Here you go. She speaks to me in Persian, tells me that she loves me, girl with golden eyes. And though I hardly know her, I let her in my veins and trust her with my life. Every morning, jonesing for her love, the girl with golden eyes. I won't have to wait long till she buries me with roses, cause she's always by my side. Everything will be a.m. That, that song reminds me of that uh, 
red lizard metaphor, you know, that I've talked about in episodes past, our, our relationship with our addiction, you know, addiction of choice. My addiction of choice has changed over the years, and it's kind of like that, uh, kind of like that painting that I remember, you know. That card slams down, and you feel like you've lost all your chips, and one of the specters in the zoot suit puts his arm around you, and, you know, in an attempt to comfort you, trying to drag you to the killing floor, right? Back to the addiction of choice to rule and reign, you know, I, I, I remember, I get that, um, it goes to our desire for it, we are creatures driven by desire and habit, and, um, and that's not a bad thing, you know, I mean, desires are, are good, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Buddhist, I don't believe that we should get rid of our desires, and that's when we're going to be happy, I... I disagree, you know. It's, God created things in this world for us to enjoy. Not for, for those things to consume us. God, God's a loving Father. Um, it's, But it's really, you know, it's not just the bad things either that, that bring us to the the relationship with the seductress or the specter of, uh, you know, comfort. Um, Charles Cross is a, an author in my city. He's written books on uh, a lot of Seattle artists like Jimi Hendrix and his book on heart right now is bestseller on the New York Times um, bestsellers list trying to get him on the show. I sent him an email this morning. He actually got back to me and it was pretty cool to exchange emails with uh, Charles Cross. But he talked about um, hearing the Kurt Cobain story. He wrote a great book on, on Kurt Cobain. And Kurt Cobain was on, you know, Nirvana goes on Saturday Night Live for the first time, and, and you know, national exposure and like this huge moment of, of success and victory for most artists, you know, in a rock band. You're on Saturday Night Live, that's a pretty big deal. And that night was the first time he OD'd on heroin. And Charles Cross said, you know, it kind of blew his mind that someone would. You know, at the pinnacle of success, would think about doing drugs like that or overdosing. Um, so it's not just the bad times; it's it's the good times. We uh, there's something in our heart, in our soul that that when our our alignment for worship is is messed up, we. We tend to self-destruct, whether that's bad things or good things, you know. Ted Tripp is an author and uh, 
he's a counselor. He's been counseled people in the church you know, as, a, as a pastor for, you know, over 20 years. And he, he talks about heat, you know. It's not just the bad things. It's the good things. It's the big things. It's heat. When life gets big, we're still looking for a savior, right? Shelter. I'm struggling to articulate some of the, you know, some of the stuff that folks have emailed me with lately, you know. That's really been the thing, you know, that, that I've seen coming out of these addictions and realizing the, the, the you know, the specter in the, in the purple suit, you know, the yellow suit or, or whatever. It's my relationship with these things, you know, wanting to consume them, wanting them to satisfy or fulfill me. Sex was the most stickiest one. It was always right there, attached to my body, right? Using myself to gratify, you know, the thoughts of my mind and the chemicals that would be released by stimulating a certain part of my body, right? I mean, we know... Um, men and women it's just it's just deep and sticky you know and I get that and and listen I talked about how um, concluding season two you know that if we if we're constantly looking for God to save us right if, if we just see God as a way to get clean or a way to get over my addictions that's self-gratifying right like that's that's using god to to fix me for a moment and then you know but i guess it, realizing after saying that and and going through some some chats with some of you listeners you know it's getting to that relationship with the creator that that makes him shows him to be good and to be better than these other um these other specters that that we that we cling to that we run to see overcoming this addiction is, is it's a heart thing but it's also a relationship thing and it's realizing that God created you and loves you and is bigger than, than you, bigger than our desires. And he's enough. He's enough. But me saying that to you, you know, that's a good thing to say and a, and a fact that I can throw out there about my belief and my faith. You have a faith, all right? That's what I'm, I'm telling you, friend, all right? You... Your faith brings you to, to where you're at. It brought me to where I was at in every single visit with one of these specters at the table, you know? I put my faith in them. Like like Nikki Six says in that song, I, I put my life in their hands and welcomed them into my veins. That's what I did. 
these chemicals that run through our body. You know, an orgasm is, is chemical. It makes heroin look like, I don't know, that's, that's a bad analogy. It's, heroin will kill your body, you know. Heroin addicts tend to die quickly. They put their body to death. Sexual addicts tend to kill our, our souls drive us to ultimate selfishness and, and, and erode anything that we love around us, you know, our families, we have to take a back seat to, to our addiction and our pleasure. And that's, that's really, you know, what I want you to see is that it's, it's us that choose the relationship with the specter for whatever reason with the seductress, with the girl with golden eyes, right? We have something in us that chooses it, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, we don't care, we want it now. I could say that sex is an idol, that's true. Breaking down some of the theology that of idolatry, absolutely. But really the bigger idol the deeper root idol is ourselves. We worship ourselves. We think it's all about us. You know, anger. Talk about anger. You know, the reason every sex addict that I know is a deeply angry person inside, whether it's punching people or saying bad words or starting fights or creating drama or being, you know, it's like the root of that cat theology, dog theology, right? Dogs think that you, the owner, are a god, and cats think that they are god. Serve me. Make much of me. Wow, I must be awesome and wonderful. Look at the life that I have. Or look at how bad my life sucks. I must suck. I must be horrible. It's still... It's still a reflection and a making much of and a spending a ton of energy, emotional, spiritual energy on the self. Whether you exalt yourself or hate yourself, you're worshiping yourself. I, I, I should have died of a drug overdose. I, I should have. I didn't. It's like beating cancer, you know. I get to be thankful, I get to give thanks, I get to have gratitude in my heart, but part of that is overcoming myself. Because the God of me wants to lament and wants to make much of and wants an audience for how bad my life sucks, right? The deep core, right? I want to talk about how bad my life sucks. At, at the top, I want to talk about how great I am on a surface level. Look how look how cool I am. It's not going out to my creator. And listen, hear me out here. I'm not advocating faking it, all right? You get in a, a group situation, for example, and you start talking about stuff, your stuff, you know? You start letting people behind the counter in your life, right? And a raw nerve is hit. You hear, you know, material like I'm talking about today. 
or somebody sees something in you in, in a raw nervous hit, you know, like the dentist poking around with that hook thing in your mouth and, ah, and you're like, react. And that is real. All right. That is real energy being released and coming, flowing out of you. But what I want you to see is, is that how are you reacting? Because that's worship, all right? That spiritual, emotional energy that comes flowing out in those moments is energy. And it's energy being released. And it's either going to go up to God. It's either going to be you reaching to God or it's just going to default on the self. And sometimes, man, I could just sit and bitch and whine and complain about my life and how, how bad I got it and how every card slammed down the, on the table was just more misery for me, you know? But that was all that energy just defaulted on me. There was no gratitude in it. There was no joy in realizing where I'm at now. I mean, you hear what I'm saying? It's, it's getting over the God of self, man. Because that God of self, it's not... How is it doing so far, right? Is it filling you full of joy? You know, I'm my own worst enemy. You've heard that said a lot. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of rock and roll songs about that. But really, you know, I'm a horrible, horrible God. I am really bad at bringing myself joy and fulfillment and realizing my purpose in this life if I just think about myself it just it, it, it's a mess it's a disaster I'm a horrible God for me <laughs> it's just true I was hearing Rick Warren talk about um, the purpose-driven life Rick Warren's a pastor from California uh, pretty pretty sizable church in California. He wrote a book, this Christian book, and he he had no idea it would be this big. He's like, I you know, I just wrote a book about about Christian life and and uh, you know, it, mainly for the people in my church. Some some thoughts that I had, and it became the largest um, just outside the Bible as far as we've been tracking. You know. Uh, book sales. The Purpose Driven Life is the the best-selling non-fiction book in human history, next to the Bible. Insert after track two. See, the things we enjoy tend to define us, right? Like he's a baseball fan, or you know, she enjoys clothes and spends money on that, and, and all of this, you know, money, time energy is worship as acts of worship but when someone tries to take those things away or call us out on it we got all defensive and angry and ah you know protect our our idols and the reason is because the deeper idol is self we are putting our faith in those things to give us happiness joy and to define who we are and, and it's so shallow because those things are so easily breakable. But ultimately, again, that's what I want you to see is, is the faith that, that is put out. It's not that you don't have faith. You do have faith. And it's not that your faith in God needs to be strong 
or huge or you have to be this massively faithful person but the object of your faith needs to be realized you hear what I'm saying it's like something Tim Keller said it's a pastor in New York City he said that it's not the, the, the amount of faith that needs to be mustered up for life change to occur but the object of your faith that's what changes behavior. That's what changes hearts. When you change the heart, you change the mind, you change the behavior over time. It kind of rhymes, don't it? <laughs> I was hearing Rick Warren talk about um, the purpose-driven life. Rick Warren's a pastor from California, a uh, pretty, pretty sizable church in California. He wrote a book, this Christian book, and he, he had no idea it would be this big. He's like, I, you know, I just wrote a book about, about Christian life and, and uh, you know, it, mainly for the people in my church, some, some thoughts that I had. And it became the largest, um, out, j just outside the Bible, as far as we've been tracking, you know, uh, book sales. The Purpose Driven Life is the, the best-selling nonfiction book in human history next to the Bible. The Bible isn't even on the bestsellers list anymore because it's it sells so many copies all the time. It, but you hear what I'm saying, right? Rick Warren's like, uh, I had no idea. And what did he say? What, what was the topic of it? Purpose. Why do I exist? This hit a raw nerve in our culture because people are so confused and lied to and thinking that superficial, hollow things will satisfy long-term. It's not just us addicts. It is permeates our culture in the Western world. I was talking with a friend about this, and it's like, you know, that's why, that's why Jesus says, repent of your sins, you know, turn from your sin and come to me. Because it's realizing that I'm broken and I'm worshiping myself. You know, it's like the serenity prayer. The one, the one part of it is relinquishing control to God. But the second part of it has to do with purpose. The ripple effect that, that I'm going to make. And, and that's where Rick Warren touches on in this book. And I, and I love this. Here's the first paragraph in that book. The first sentence in that book is, is so poignant and true. He calls it the, the anti-self-help book, by the way, which I thought was awesome. Talk about killing the dragon of idolatry. Check this out. It's not about you. First sentence. The purpose for your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, and even whatever your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. You know what? I'm going to go for the second paragraph as well. Why not? Um... He says, once I got lost in the mountains, when I stopped to ask for directions to the campsite, I was told, you can't get there from here. You must start from the other side of the mountain. Wow, right? Um, <clears throat> in the same way, you cannot arrive 
at your life's purpose by starting with a focus on yourself. You must begin with God, your creator. You only exist because God wills that you exist. You are made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. It is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. That is so true. Your creator. If we could just let our hearts sync up with that fact that we were made for his purpose, there is a, a ton of freedom in that. There's a ton of freedom in that. I love you guys. I'm going to leave the show right there. Um, I'm going to leave you with a song, maybe a couple of songs. Both songs that are played at, at services at our church, and they're both very poignant to this, this truth. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. And uh, until next time, bye. This tree bears strange fruit. There's blood on the leaves. It's dead at the roots. The cracked gray branches are decaying within. Just like the black poison that hangs from its limbs. Come and dig me up Reach down to the root Rip the deadness out And plant something new i
Oh. Uh-huh.